Hello, welcome to York Street. We hope that this sermon will be an inspiring and impactful one, just what you need at this time. For any of our sermon-based studies, please head to our website at www.yorkstreet.com.ae. So grab a cuppa, grab your notebook, whatever you need, and we hope that you enjoy the sermon. Today we continue our family series, a series called Ready, Set, Go, on, on how do we raise spiritually healthy children? How do we raise up the next generation, not just for the sake of the next generation, but for generations to come, not just, not just our kids, but our kids' kids and our children's 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 children, which as we read in Scripture is so important. And so to, to start, I've got a handful of questions, uh, and feel free to yell out the answer. So if you're sick, you go to a... Yep, I also would have accepted Google. Um, it's all good. If your car's broken, you go to a... What, <laughs> Dad? <laughs> the, um, the, the last service said Ash. Um, mechanic, you go to a mechanic. Uh, if your tooth hurts, you go to a... Yeah, you have as much Panadol as you can first, and you put it out, and you wait a few more days, and then when it gets bad enough, you go to a dentist. That's right. <laughs> um, when it comes to raising spiritually healthy children, whose responsibility is it? <laughs> Someone just yell out mine. Yeah, Tim's, yeah. Well, isn't it funny? Because we, we, um, we, we, we outsource so much, don't we? We outsource so many things, and rightfully so. You don't want me fixing your teeth. Like, that would be a bad thing. And... and, and like, also, church is great. There's good things about church. Church is incredible. Church is, it's the body of Christ. We're, 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 we're a family. We support one another. We carry one another's burdens. When somebody's up, the other one's down. When someone's down, somebody's up, and we, we work together. We, we come to church on a Sunday to, to worship God, firstly, because he's worthy of worship. We, we come to church on a Sunday to, to sing songs of praise because the words that are in in that the music are, are so much better articulated than what we can usually say in a sentence to ourselves. You know, I don't usually walk around going, I love you, Lord, and I will lift my voice. <laughs> you know, like, I don't, I don't say that, but I'll sing it, and I'll sing it with everything that's in me, with passion. And so we come to sing, we, we come to, to serve, because through service we experience God in, in, in seeing the impact of others. And we come just to, for fellowship, to be with our, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ but when it comes to raising the next generation, we need to know the starting point. Last week, we, the series talked about starting with the end in mind. We actually started with the finish, the goalposts. What does it look like to start our journey of parenting for our kids, knowing the direction that we're heading? And of course, the direction is in the direction of Jesus, but also having healthy adult children. What, what, is, what is the adult character traits that we want based on what Scripture has? Well, today we're going to look at the start, because we, we know where the goal is, healthy Christian adults. But what do we start? What can we do today? What, what's the beginning part of that? And, and when we look at the, the idea of whose job is it to raise healthy Christian kids, kids that, that have an understanding who God is, if we were to depend on the church to do all of that, 
the, the, the data shows that on average, most families can get to church about 40 times a year. That, that's on average. You know, sometimes the, the data is different and some people don't make it that often. Some people, you know, mostly our church, of course, you hear every Sunday. But just let's just go with the, the, the normal data, about 40 Sundays a year. That, that's every, every week of term, four terms, 10-week terms, every week of term, families are here which means that if you're dependent on the church, our incredible kids program, to raise your children, to invest the spiritual truths, that gives you 40 hours of input a year. 40 hours. Now, let's be generous, because sometimes church goes long. Let's double that and say 80 hours. An average young person in our church gets 80 hours of spiritual input, and if they come to a program or a night or something else, 80 hours a week. If we talk about our youth, let's chuck another, another one. Let's say 120, because they turn up to youth group as well. 120, we're trying to be generous. We're, we're, the data says 40, but we're, we're tripling that. 120 hours of input into the, the young people in our church. The average parent, with school and everything included, has 4,000 hours a year to invest into their kids. That's with extracurricular activities and what you still have 4,000 hours. That's in the morning, that's at evening, that's weekends, it's all those spaces. 4,000, which just goes to show the primary place of influence when it comes to, to raising spiritually healthy children has to be the home. 120 hours is incredible and in the church, we do the very best we can. To, to love the young people, to create incredible programs and experiences for them. But if it's not modelled at home, it's 120 versus 4,000. It's got to start at home. If, if you're still sort of on the fence of whose job is it to raise your kids, then, then I'd encourage you to consider this. If you won't fight for your kids, who will? Who else has a vested interest in raising your kids right more than you? You know, when it comes to education, we, we, all of a sudden teachers are now expected to be teaching morals. Like, poor teachers, they signed up to teach kids how to read and write. Like, wow, there's all this extra pressure in the education system. When it comes to, to loving our kids and introducing them to Jesus, it's our job. Which means we've got to live by... Example, we've got to model it. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy because we, we mess up, let's face it. We all mess up. This is, this is our house last Tuesday, right? So where it's been one of those days, church was busy, we had a few meetings and it's all, you know, life's going well. But Anthony's also about to take a week off, which is great because he doesn't sleep. So it's nice that he take a, took, takes a break every now and then. And so we're really excited about Anthony and his family taking a week off to get away because he's been on, working really hard. And so we were at this sort of the, the other end of the day. It's sort of evening time and, and Yvette's got some meetings at school. And so I'm trying to cook dinner and I'm trying to look after the kids, but I've also got to get Ryland to work. And it's sort of this mixed match of you know, doing multiple things, and, and I'm a guy, so I can really only do one at a time, so I'm, I'm struggling with this. It's like, ah. And so on the way to drop Rylan off to his work, I get a message from Anthony saying, can you authorise some payments? 
And so part of the, the um, ethical and, and um, stewardship of the finances of the church is it needs two signatories for any payments to go through so that, that not one person can do anything wrong with the money. And so, like, absolutely, it's his last thing for Anthony and needs to get done before he can tick it off his mind and go on holidays. So uh, it's a priority for me. I get home, I stir the dinner, I grab my laptop, I authorise the payments because a lot of the payments for for our missionaries as well, so I want to make sure the missionaries are, are fed, you know, and, and paid and all that sort of stuff. And then, then I've got dinner on the table, we're all sitting around, we're about to eat, and I thought, I just want to send Anthony a message to say, payments are good, okay. Like, you can have your holiday, all good. Just to, you know, I'm thinking of Anthony, it's sort of in my mind, and we sit down at the table, all about to eat, and I look over and I see Maya sitting on the other side of the table, and she's got her phone at the table. And I go to t- I'm about to tell her off. No phones at the table. Oh, hang on. What am I modelling? What what am I what am I what am I showing as an example? She doesn't know. I could be playing Tetris or whatever. Uh, I, I could be playing games. I could be on social media. I could be messaging mates. I could be having a lot. I could be doing anything. She doesn't know what I'm doing on my phone. See, my priorities are out of whack. I needed to be leading by example. I needed to put my phone down and, and, and live by example of, of what the rules are at the table. If I'm breaking the rules, how can I expect my kids to follow? You see, it's going to be tough and we're going to mess up. We are. Tuesday, I messed up. I had the phone at the table. It's the irony of trying to better tell my daughter off while I've got the phone in my hand. Seriously. But home has to be the primary place of discipleship. Let's see what the Bible has to say about it. Well, how do we do this? On a day-to-day basis, how do we raise spiritually healthy children? What what does Scripture have to say? It's a well-known passage when it comes to families and kids, and it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And and it, it says, for a start, it says, Hear, O Israel, because it's addressed to God's nation in the Old Testament that are about to go into the Promised Land. And and Moses is is sort of been convicted by God to say, Hey, don't forget what I've done. Don't forget the, the rules I've placed on life. Don't forget the incredible uh, miracles that have taken place. Don't forget who your God is. Don't forget to celebrate him. Don't forget to, to fear him. Don't forget to, to stick within the boundaries because it's going to help you into the future. And so we hear this. So in this passage, it says, Hero Israel. Now we're going to tweak it a little bit. And, and please hear that's not blasphemy. It's just, I'm going to change one word. That word is not biblical. So you'll never read it again in scripture, but I think it just helps us for today. Okay, we don't adjust the Bible, but I'm just going to change a word for today's example. Hear, O York Street. It's just that word. The Lord your God, the Lord has come. Verse 5, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. It's a pretty important verse because Jesus actually quotes this verse. He adds the word mind. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. Verse 6, these commandments I give to you today that will be written on your hearts. Like, live them out. Have them at your very core, at your very center. Impress them on your children. Verse 7, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them on symbols on your your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. 
What is, what is this passage saying about how we're meant to live out the example for our kids? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 5 says, Love the Lord your God through your hearts, all your soul, and all your strength. Firstly, love is a decision, right? Love is a choice. Love is an action. Like, we, we know that, that when you first fall in love, you know, there's the other person, your eyes meet, and it's like, well, it's all the feelings, all the feelings, all the emotion. And then you get married, and all of a sudden, you know, you realize that you're making noises in the middle of the night that you, know, you don't know where they come from, but they're yours, and, you know, and they still love you. <laughs> like, oh man, the feelings aren't there in the middle of the night. Or, or you, you, know, you, you roll over, and, and they're dribbling. It's like, oh. <laughs> there you go. You know, like, love is a choice. Love is a decision. That was me. I'm the one dribbling. Um, love is, love is, is, is an action, and it's saying, love the Lord your God with all you got. So actually, if we are to model to the next generation, it starts with us. You know, when it came to telling Maya off, hang on, there's a mirror. I got, I got no authority to tell her off if I'm not doing it myself. When it comes to, to putting God first, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, it starts with you. Are you all in for Christ? Are you all in? Are you sold out for God? It starts with you. Verse 7 goes on. It says, impress them on your children. Impress the things of God on the next generation. Because Moses knew if they didn't do that, they wouldn't go well in the land. He knew that there was a purpose to this. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. You see, this passage talks about, this is your routines when you lie down. Talk about God when you're putting your kids to bed. When you get up, talk about God and what it looks like to put him first in your day, if you're going to pray for the day or whatever it is. When it comes to walking around, are you looking for God in nature and sharing what it is? When you walk into the house, how is God a part of your house? When you're walking out, how is God a part of when you leave the house? How is God a part of your daily routines? Home is the primary place for discipleship. It's part of our rhythm of life, our rhythm of being. What does it look like to have God in our meal time, in our prayer time, in our devotion time, in our fun, in our community, in our service? And we, we could turn each one of those words into a series. <clears throat> but really what I want to focus in on one of those things today that I think is so, so important. Because I actually think we can do a lot of these in the one. And it's something simple because, hey, we're still messing up with phones at the table, right? Like life's busy. There's lots of stuff going on. What's something simple that we can do as families to help create a space where we can bring God back into the center? Well, Ange already invited us, everybody, for a meal next Sunday. That's great. It's kind of like a church luncheon. Um, yeah, come and join us and then we own you. <laughs> no, joking, joking. Um, the intern's lunch. Yeah, it's going to be fun. But there's something about food. As soon as you say, hey, there's lunch, you go, ooh, food. Isn't there? There's something about a meal that like sparks interest. We all got to eat. There's something about food that, that is inviting, something about food that, that's appealing. So what would it look like as, as families to, to have meals together? Let's actually see what the world has to say. This isn't the Bible. This is what the world has to say about this idea of coming together at the meal table. And what, what, what is the benefit of eating together in a, in a season where 
Phones are easy to have at the table and be distracted. The TV can be on in the background. Or even maybe we don't even eat at the table. We eat in the lounge room. You know, who's guilty of that? You know, we did it last night. Saturday night, we all went and had a meal. You know, we watched a movie and had dinner. It's sort of a bit of a Saturday night tradition. But, but, but what does the world say about this? About eating a meal together? Well, firstly... 71% of teenagers said they consider talking and catching up and spending time with family members as the best part of family dinners. Two-thirds of teenagers said it's not about the food. That's good news to me, because I'm a bad cook. Two-thirds of teenagers said this is not about the food. This is about relationships. This is about conversation. This is about no matter what my day has looked like, I know I can come back to something familiar, something safe, I can debrief. This is important, but it's not about the food. Two-thirds of teenagers. Between 9 and 14-year-olds who ate dinner with their families most frequently consume more fruits and vegetables. It's because we're making them eat it. Yeah, we got that one. Teenagers who have been have between five to seven family dinners per week. Seven's like every day, right? Five to seven are twice as likely to report to receive mostly A's or B's in school. This isn't the, this isn't the Bible. This is just secular uh, research. Can we go to the next slide? Family meals have provided to be a perfect opportunity for parents to expose children to different foods and expand their taste buds. It's pretty cool, hey? Now, I know we've tried some different meals as a, as, as a family where unanimously every single member of the family have tried it and eat it and said, well, we hate that. Yeah, that was disgusting. Let's never have that again. That was terrible. Um, usually it's when I'm cooking once again. Uh, but it's just like, yep, I don't know what the recipe said, but that did not work. Let's never do that again. Uh, you can have a laugh about it and all good. But other times we've tried something new together and all of a sudden, because we're trying something in a safe space around the table, it's like an equalizer. We're all trying this together. We're all giving it a go. And we've discovered something that we love. And one of the family members would be like, that, that is now my new favorite. It's like, cool. We, we took a risk. <laughs> we don't all hate it. And maybe that's a special food now. We can, we've added some new foods into our, our routine because, you know, since COVID, we had an opportunity to try new stuff together and, and cook a bit more and we've got some new recipes in our repertoire. This one's pretty, pretty amazing. Research examining 5,000 teenagers has shown that when children eat with their parents regularly, they are more likely to be emotionally strong and have better mental health emotionally strong and better mental health just by eating together. Just by eating together. You think of the conversations around the meal table, times when, when, you, when you've been processing the day, when, when kids are watching mum and dad process what's been happening and unpack their stuff in the day to, to normalise some of the pressures and actually show, hey, there is resilience in this. Hey, yeah, we, we can turn from a, a tense conversation to, hey, you know, someone sneezes and milk comes out their nose and now we're all laughing. <laughs> you know, like, like, like there's, there's, mo- there's things that you can't recreate that just naturally happen at the meal table that, that actually show, um, the evidence shows that people have better mental health. When families eat together, young children are less likely to become overweight or obese. 
And, it, and this is a, a really interesting one. This, this is not so much for kids, but it's just for adults. Uh, if you have a demanding job, finding time to eat with your family can actually leave you feeling less stressed. When you, your job's all out of control and things are crazy, this is the go-to. And like two-thirds of teenagers, it's not about the food. It's about having a safe space to go back to. The meal table is so, so important. So let's see what the Bible has to say about eating together. In John chapter 21, verse 12, we heard about this a couple of weeks ago when we we revisited our vision. We saw that, that Jesus invites Peter and some of the disciples who are fishing on a boat to have breakfast. Now, the backstory to that is Peter has... Um, Peter had a bit of a temper and was going through some stuff and he denied Jesus three times. Now Jesus had reinstated him, but there's still some tension. There's still, Peter's trying to to earn his way back. He's he's feeling guilt, he's feeling shame. And all of a sudden Jesus says, hey, let's go have breakfast. Let's eat together. You see, at at the table we find forgiveness. At the table, this this equalizer, all of a sudden, there's no power play. It's it's a space where we can show forgiveness, we can eat together, we can talk stuff out. I had a conversation just yesterday with with a a young dad who said that that just a few few nights ago they were um, eating dinner and his wife said something to him and it was just one of those, they're all in one of those moods. Um, and he snapped. He just said something, just narky back. And then she said something narky to him. And then one of the other kids said something narky. And there's just a thick tension at the table. Like it's just not a pleasant place to be. And it's like, oh, they're just, ugh, they're just at each other. And it's like, it's just not a good spot to be. And then the, the young daughter said, well, I, I don't want to be, can I go? <laughs> I don't want to be here. And they're like, no, we've got to eat together as a family. You know, yeah. it's like when you're running late for church. Like, hurry up, we've got to get to church. I'll give you a smack. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, like that. that ah, you know, they sort of, anyway, she goes, oh, can I, I just need to go and read my Bible. Like, pretty good reason to leave the table. So she goes, reads her Bible. There's still tension at the table with the rest of the family. She then comes back with a Bible verse and goes, daddy, look, look what I just read. And he couldn't remember the verse, but what he knew, what he does remember is what the verse did. It just diffused everything. And from then, they, they, they read it, they talked about what they thought the verse meant, and then, they, then the apology started. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You see, there's forgiveness at the table. When you bring God into the table, there's forgiveness. Who was the spiritual head of that mealtime? a little girl that ran to scripture when there was a problem. Incredible. She wouldn't know what she was going to read. It wasn't premeditated. She doesn't have a theological degree. She just grabbed the Bible and God did something in that space. There is forgiveness at the table. In Luke chapter 2 verse, uh, sorry, chapter 19 verse 5, nothing like 2 at all. I really read that one wrong. We see this this time where there's this guy and he's he's just this criminal He's been ripping people off for years, stealing people's money, just, just lying about how much they owed. And he's been just 
robbing and robbing and robbing and robbing people. This, this little guy with big wallets. This guy called Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is like, well, I want to go see this guy Jesus because he's like a bit of a big deal and everyone's going to see him. But, but I, you know, I'm short, so I'm just going to climb up a tree and I'll sit there because no one wants to see me anyway because everyone hates me because I stole all their money. And, and Jesus walks past and he reaches the spot and he looks up to where Zacchaeus was. He looks up and said to Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your home today. I need to stay at your home today. You see, there's something about the table that it doesn't matter what your, your status is in life. If you're on the fringe of a group or if you're, maybe you're meeting someone for the first time and you don't know them or maybe your neighbors or maybe your acquaintance at church or friends or whatever, there's something about the table that when you invite someone into your home, when you sit someone around your table, you find acceptance. Now, Zacchaeus wasn't the sins that were accepted, it was Zacchaeus as a person. And because Jesus loved Zacchaeus as a person and accepted him, Zacchaeus, what happened to him? He became all in. And when he became all in, what happened? He gave all his money out. Like he said, man, I've, I've seen that I've wronged that person. I'm going to give not, not just what I owe them. I'm going to give them more back. I'm so sorry. Look at my lifestyle. I'm all in. That's going to show in how I live. But how did it start? Jesus was accepted. And I still love that Jesus invited himself over. That's kind of cool. I'm going to go to your place. What do you got to eat? Yeah. I don't know if that's how it went, but that's the way I picture it. Matthew chapter 14, verse 19. Jesus is sitting with a group of people and, and he's just teaching. He's teaching and, and it's, the days, just, the hours are ticking away. It started early and, and now it's getting late at night and the disciples are like, well, I'm hungry. It's knock-off time, right? It's time to clock out. It's, it's yep, dinner time. Yeah. There's 5,000 men plus women and children, between 10 to 15,000 potential people sitting there. And they're like, yep, time to go. And Jesus goes, what have we got? They're like, nothing. We got nothing. Like, we've got excuses. <laughs> we really don't have anything. And they ask around, a little boy turns up, and goes, look, this is what I've got. I've got two fish and five loaves. That's all I've got. Don't have much. Babe, what I've got is yours. And what Jesus does is he takes this, this like, what is just never going to work. It's not enough. Like, like in, every, in every human consideration, there's no way that is enough food. Like, maybe everyone could lick it. Like, there's no way that's going to go around. It just... It's just not enough. But what does he do? He directs the people to sit down on the grass and giving thanks for the five loaves and the two fish. He looks up to heaven and he gives thanks. He's thankful to God for what he has, even though it's not enough in human standards. He is grateful for what he has. He thanks and he broke the loaves and he gave it to the disciples and the disciples gave it to the people. As we know, a miracle took place and everyone ate and everyone was full and then they collected baskets of food left over. You see, there's something about the table that, that, you know, this is not what our table looks like, right? We, we gave up on tablecloths a long time ago, you know? That juice and that tablecloth, you know, that's like, if it lasts five minutes, that's a miracle in itself. Like, you know, like spills and, like, we had the plastic cover over our table for, for years. Anyone do that? Like, yeah, you know, it's like because stuff would get knocked on it and there's 
kids would be trying to write their name with the fork in it. Eh, what are you doing? Yeah, what's going on? Like, and stains. Like, our table does not look like this. Our table is just a table. We put, we have some placemats on it to stop the names, and and we put food on it, and we eat, and then we clear it off. And then everything else in life gets dumped on the table and we've got to clear that off for the next meal. That's what we do. But what we have, we're thankful for. I don't know if you've ever really been like truly, truly hungry. You know those days where you've got to eat lunch or something, you get home and just everything just tastes so good. You see, at the table, when we bring Christ in, we are so thankful for what we have. You see, at the table, we, we, we show gratitude. At the, the table, we are grateful for what we have. It doesn't matter if it's not enough. We're just grateful. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 20, we said, evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. And we see in this picture that those times they had sort of low tables and they'd have cushions all around. And Jesus is sitting on the, the cushion reclining at the table. And while he's there, he reaches for the bread and he breaks it. And he starts something that's become a tradition to this day called communion. And what he says is every time you sit at the table, every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you sit down at the table, I, I want you to bring me into the center of this. I want you to remember that because of what I'm about to do, you can have a relationship with God. I, I, I want you to remember what it cost. I want to remember. I want you to remember how much I love you. You see, when we're all in, when it comes to the table, we find Jesus. At the table, we find Jesus. Like that little girl brought Jesus in, in the midst of just one of those nights. These are beautiful people, but they're just having one of those days, you know. We've all, maybe York Street, we don't have them, but, you know, other people do. We just have one of those days, there's tension. A little girl brought Jesus to the table. And forgiveness and acceptance was a part of that conversation from that point on. You see, it starts with you. Love the Lord your God with all you got. Are you all in? Because when you're all in, you can't help but bring Jesus to the table. What does your table look like? How can, the Jesus, how can Jesus become the center of your meals? And is there room for a plus one? If we are to accept others, we've got to make space at our table for others as well. To model to our kids what it is to show generosity, acceptance, love, compassion, hospitality. There's two challenges for this morning, depending where you sit, because I know not everyone here has kids, uh, kids that are in their influence. Um, some of you might be spiritual uncles and aunties um, or grandparents, or maybe you never had your own children, but you still play a, a, a parenting role in caring for others within the church. So there's a couple of outcomes for this today. Firstly, in um, Yorkie Kids today, Everybody's, all of each family's been given a set of cards. There's 80 of these, and we expect you to do it every mealtime from start to finish. <laughs> no, no. Um, 
They're just conversation starters. If, if you're wondering, how do you start to bring Jesus in the center of, him, of the conversations? It's just, if you're stuck, here's an option. And the questions are so simple. <laughs> They're really not. <laughs> Where in your life is fear holding you back? <laughs> it's one for our preschoolers. You know? <laughs> what is the most important message of the Bible? <laughs> what beliefs nullify all religions? If you've got an answer for that one, let me know after the service. That'd be awesome. What direction is God pointing you towards right now? I reckon one question would be enough for about a week. Um, but they're fun. They're, they're a conversation starter. If it's too hard, pass, pass is totally acceptable. <laughs> so they, they come in a little box, sit them in the center of your table, just as a reminder. You don't have to use the questions, but having the box in the center of your table, because in the center of the table is a reminder that, hey, is there an opportunity? Maybe can show gratitude and say, thank you, God, for the food. We call it grace. Grace at the start of the meal. Thanks, God, for what you've given us. We are grateful. We thank you. May, may this food give us energy to serve you. The, the other um, challenge or, or activity this week is if you've got space... If, if you've got space at your table, maybe you don't have kids and you're looking for an opportunity, or maybe you do have kids and you've still got some space, I want to encourage you to, to think of who is your plus one? Who can you invite to your table this week? Jesus saw Zacchaeus. He invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. I still find that funny. But what, what does it look like for you to open your table to somebody else, to show hospitality, to show care, to show kindness, to show love, to show grace? And in doing so, model to our kids what it is to do those things. Remember, life can be tough, so let's do it together. Mm-hmm.